0: all right can you hear me
1: yes i can hear you
0: awesome (laughs) Uh, i thought this was going to be kind of a complicated issue today but i did not think that the complication was going to come from a technical standpoint
1: yeah yeah i understand
0: all right so welcome everybody to the podcast uh today we do have a special guest we have brother matthew colvin who uh Has who was probably, I believe, my first friend over social media um, after becoming a Calvinist and brother who is a Reformed preacher, and today we are tackling a subject that is immensely important, I think, not only to uh, understanding uh, man's need for a Savior in general, but really uh, the truth of scriptures when it comes to Uh, God's plan of salvation altogether. And so uh, that is total depravity. And uh, you know, Matthew, we were, I went, actually, and I thought of you immediately because our message this morning at church had to do with Ephesians. And it was a two verses one all the way to uh, uh, verse 10. And Uh, yeah. yeah, I thought immediately of you. And so, um, you know, we have you know we have a lot of people. Uh, Reformed theology is not exactly the most popular uh, outlook in in America, uh, to be particular. And so, um, what well, what is total depravity for those who may not know?
1: Well, total depravity basically, um, Augustine actually defined total depravity when he when he used the term original sin. Um, many, many, many think of original sin as the first sin committed, but it's actually not. Historically, through the church age, original sin is talking about the consequences of that first sin that Adam committed. Um, if you yeah. recall, in Genesis 2:17, God told Adam, the day that you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. Well, we mm-hmm. all know that Adam didn't physically die, and Eve did not physically die at that moment, but they did die spiritually. Um, yes and and total depravity basically I, I don't want it to be mistaken with utter depravity which means man is as absolutely as bad as he could be but what total depravity means is that all his all of his faculties are depraved his his yeah. mind his heart his will his emotions his affections all these things are now depraved and and bent towards sin literally enslaved to sin because of the fall it's a mm-hmm. deadness it's a spiritual deadness
0: yeah, and and uh, what I think uh, what I think the misunderstanding comes from when people try to object total depravity is when they when they hear us say that, and I'm glad you touched on it, is that we're not talking about utter depravity, and that in that I believe that God does uh, have a prevenient grace upon uh, that that is commonly had. Um, it it's one of the reasons why we don't see uh, everybody out here being another version of Hitler and trying to kill each other off and stuff like that. God's uh God's kind of reigned in our sins a bit on on that front. Of yeah, course, I agree. We, I
1: agree. God's yeah. many refer to it as common grace. Um yeah. the scripture in the New Testament says he causes his reign to, to fall on the just. And the unjust and uh, yep. Unbelievers partake of, of pleasure They are they get to partake of God's creation Of food Of all, all types of pleasures and things like that That's God's common grace But then, yeah. but then this is touching specifically On God's saving um, Or efficacious some call it effectual grace That actually saves yep. And of course that's towards his elect
0: Yep um, Amen and, and that's uh, uh that's a very important thing uh, that I think whenever whenever the um, when, when we're evangelizing the people or just even if we're just talking to our loved ones that uh, that are uh, you know save themselves I, th- I think that it is a an important thing to uh, discuss but whenever because obviously this kind of question comes up and like um, a lot of people, you know they they want you to be specific with them and stuff like that. And when you tell them you're a Calvinist and get into effectual grace and effectual calling and stuff like that, you know, it's a it, to get them familiarized with those those kind of terms and explain our viewpoint. I think is very important. So uh, I guess the next question I would have um, coming from a I come from an independent fundamental Baptist background, you know, mm-hmm. so it's very, uh, semi Pelagian. So when I was in that, we, we had affirmed that while man is spiritually dead, we believe that he wasn't so dead as that, uh, he could not choose his savior. And, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the uh, illustration by Norman Geisler where the sinner is a man that is drowning in the water and God throws a life preserver to him so that he could pull him back to the shore. Yes. Yes. So yeah, we we've heard that illustration and we of course have our own illustration that contradicts that. But why don't you go ahead and go into it and really uh, kind of lay down just how how that is an unscriptural uh, illustration when it comes to man and his depravity and his, really his estate as a sinner. Yeah,
1: the, the truth of the matter is, this, this started back. This has been going on for, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It, it started with Augustine, St. Augustine and Pelagius. Um, and basically has to do with, with is man dead? The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 1, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. And once again, God did tell Adam, mm-hmm. the day you eat of the tree, you shall surely die. Um, he didn't tell Adam the day he eats of the tree, he'll get sick. He said you will die. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really where the, the contrast is. Are you, are we dead or are we sick? Um, are we are, And I believe we're dead, like Lazarus um, in the tomb, when Jesus yes. said, Lazarus, come forth. Um, Lazarus couldn't decide to do that He couldn't make a decision to do that I like to use the analogy of of my kids in a burning house Uh, Let's say I come home from work And the house is on fire My kids are in the house Um, I'm not going to run into the house of flames And and run into my kids room And say "All right, kids The house is on fire Make a decision No I'm going to grab them out And pull them and rescue them for the fire Now the state of us is even worse Mm -hmm. spiritually Because they're not just kids in the house that are alive We're actually in the burning house dead in our sins. God doesn't merely come to a sanctuary and heal the sick. He comes to a mortuary and raises the dead. Um, That is the state of mankind. Apart from God, our wills are bound. Our hearts are are bent against God. Um, Neutrality is a myth. No one is neutral. Um, You either for God or you are against him, the Bible says. Um, So this state is not a sickness. We are not in the pool, as some would say, um, waiting for a lifeguard. We are at the bottom of the pool, drowned. And Christ had to come as, as the God in flesh, the God-man, Jesus Christ, had to come and literally get into the pool and save us, pull us out of the pool, and then resuscitate us. And that is what we call the doctrine of regeneration, where he literally breathes yeah. into us new life and and gives us a will and a, and a heart to love him and serve him. We're not merely sick and can make a decision for him. We are dead in need of life um john 3 3 john, jesus told nicodemus unless a man be born again he can't even see the kingdom of god now Armenian theology has taken that to mean um unless you're born again you can't go to heaven no he said you can't even see the yeah. kingdom you can't see your sin you can't see your need you can't see your depravity you can't see the word of god you can't understand the gospel unless you're first born again by the spirit of god so you are literally Blinded, you know, you're bound. Jeremiah thirteen twenty three said, "Can the Ethiopian change his skin, or the leopard his spots? Neither can you, who are accustomed to evil, do good." So in the same way that a person that's an Ethiopian can't change their skin color, they can't have enough free will or enough willpower to decide to change their skin color, and a leopard can't change its spots. Neither can you, who is born in sin, dead to God, can you choose to bring yourself out of that? You know, you must be rescued. Um, I had nothing to do with my first birth. I have nothing to do with my new new birth. That's something done for me. God must regenerate us through a monergistic work, which simply means that, it, it, you know, the Armenians would say it's synergism. It's us cooperating with God to bring about salvation. But no, truly, the word of God teaches that salvation is monergistic. It's one way love. It's a one way re- rescue by God unto us that are dead like Lazarus and we must be rescued. We're not merely sick. We are dead.
0: Amen. Uh, That's, yeah, that's where I really, where we really come to the crux of the matter is that where, where, um, uh, Armenians, other semi-Pelagians, they, they want to make it about a case that man is dying and not already dead, but we're saying that man is already a, a spiritual corpse. Yes. So like, so, like, even if we have the drowning man, the man in the water is already drowned, and God is actually getting into the water and dragging the man out of yes. the water to resuscitate him and revive him and bring him to life. Um, I think wh- one of the first videos I ever watched on uh, on Calvinism, and uh, it, it was it was one that my buddy Travis recommended. Was the uh, was the Calvinism doctrine documentary by the apologetics group i cannot remember its name for the life of me hmm. but um they, they said that um uh what they used the lazarus illustration just like you did saying that uh, man does not need a physician man needs uh to be revived and that's something that only god can do and uh let's see here i'm looking through scriptures right now because uh uh you you brought up john and
1: yeah and even and even and even when he says in john 3 3 if you if you remember he said in john 3 3 nicodemus came to him at night i like to say nick at night like nickelodeon nick at night um he came at night and he said (laughs) what must i do you know this and that he said you must be born again and and immediately we see the need for born again because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. They can't even understand them. They're spiritually discerned. A dead person can't even see the kingdom. And you know that because Nicodemus' response was immediately, well, how can a man that's old enter back into the womb and be born? You see, he's still natural. He's yeah. still thinking in the natural. He can't yeah. see the kingdom unless he's born again. Yeah, because we walk after the course yeah, of this world. exactly. Um, and this gives yeah. God ultimate ultimate glory because because we're not merely participating in God's rescue of us. We are we are we are it's a one way love. It's a one way rescue. God is coming unto us because we could never ascend to him. He must come to us and save us and rescue us. The Bible says in um, Ephesians two, eight and nine, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This not your own, even the faith is, is a gift of God, not your own doing so that no one may boast. The reason I'm saved and my neighbor's not saved is not because I was able to make a decision. I was a little bit smarter or more intellectual or or I had a little bit more um, free will power or anything and, like that. And that would give us. I'm saved is because God, yeah, God's yeah. grace. It's all God, and what it does, it glorifies God. And And I don't even necessarily like the term Calvinism, but it's a way to distinctly, succinctly describe what I believe, just like someone mm-hmm. would say I'm a Unitarian or Trinitarian. Um, it says, I believe in the Trinity. It's a concise statement that describes the certain things you believe without having to go into an hour of talk. And that's what the word Calvinism means or reformed Christian means. Yeah. It's a way to describe what you believe in a concise manner. Cause you don't have a lot of time with some people, you know?
0: Yeah. Because like, I think really what we'll get down to the issues, is a lot of people want to say that we're serving two masters, Jesus Christ and John Calvin. Now, you know, uh, I'll be honest with you. I haven't read a lot of Calvin, but like I do, I do know that it, really what we got to get to is to get away from that kind of false thinking, because really what we're saying is that uh, Calvin's theology that he, he really developed, uh, we believe is an affirmation of scriptural truths that he had more systematized into a theology better than anyone before his time. Absolutely. And that's all we mean about Calvinism. And yeah, I
1: mean, I don't tell people that Arminians they follow a guy named Jacob Arminius. Yeah, I, keep, <laughs> keep in mind it. that before before let, there's a misunderstanding amongst some that before the remonstrance, which is what Jacob Arminius before they formed these five points of Arminianism, the five points of Calvin the, the five points of Calvinism were merely a response. The The yeah. the um the normal the normal everyday religion of of christianity at that time all the way I believe from the church age was was calvinism or so called calvinism now
0: yeah monergistic soteriology yeah, was... hey brother hey can
1: yes So we were talking about how monarchism was the original religion before it was 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 really how Christianity was seen before Jacob Arminius came along.
0: Yeah, hold on that hold on hold on to that thought. Uh getting raised now. I was just checking to see if the connection got I have okay. no idea what happened on my hand. Okay. I think it was on me. Uh, all right. Uh, we are recording again, so we've we snagged some technical difficulties on my end. So we were at uh, how we believe that what we would call Calvinism, is actually the uh, biblical doctrine and uh, pre- preceded um, John Calvin.
1: Yes, absolutely. I I, I had I, I became a Calvinist before I'd ever read uh, John Calvin um he is the one that basically i believe you might have said it if it was recorded but he systematized the theology the doctrines um you know much like we have theologians that have systemized a lot of things for us so we can see them out of the scriptures but i mean this was taught in in the book of john jesus said i did not you did not choose me i chose you particularly in john six if you don't know yeah i want to read a a passage out of john six um John chapter 6, verse 35, he started, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Then if you go down to verse 44, it says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So there it is right there, 44. No one can come. Why? Because we're dead. The only way we can come yep. is unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, now the Armenian theology would teach, and this is not the knock the best um, Armenians. I know many brothers that are Christians. I believe they're born again, and they happen to hold Armenian. I actually held Armenian for many years. Most of my Christianity, I was an Armenian. When we they, get
0: to Pelagianism, that's the issue.
1: That's the issue where grace is not needed. But um, when it says the Father who sent me draws him, they kind of look at that as a wooing. That God's kind of whispering, hey, you know, and and kind of, you know, drawing the person so they can make a decision um, so they can ask Jesus into their heart, which, by the way, is nowhere found in the scriptures to ask him into your heart. But anyways, they teach that as kind of a wooing. Well, that word draw is actually the same word used when it said that they drew, they dragged Paul and Silas to prison in the book of Acts.
0: Yeah. And like drawing water out of a well, because I have uh, chosen by God by R.C. Sproul.
1: Yes. And Sproul
0: goes into that, too, saying that. The way they use drag is like how they drag and draw water out of a well. It's not the water's choice to come out. The guy at the top of the well is sending the bucket down and bringing the water out.
1: Yes, yes, and we don't even know we're dead. We don't even know we need God, and he's gracious enough to, to, to resurrect our hearts, and it's not an unwillful. It's, um, it's not a pulling or a struggle. He's not like he's pulling us against our will he is he the is changing he is, of that will yes making us willing so that we come most freely i believe the westminster confession of faith says and also the um, london baptist confession 1689 he makes us come most freely because you see when we when man's eyes are opened and his heart is made new and he's able to see that the the terribleness of his sin and this total depravity and his enmity against god um he runs any man runs freely to god um it's just how it works but 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 notice verse forty four of John six says no one can come unless this happens, so yep. so growing happens before the person can come. That's one distinctive of Reformed theology um that regeneration precedes faith mm-hmm. um, the Armenian teaches you know the Armenian theology and framework is basically that in order to be born you know in order to be born again, you must believe. Where reform believes, you know what the Bible teaches, especially here in John six, but but many other places in the Scriptures that teach, no, you must be born again before you can even believe. Um, you have to be dragged out of the pool from the bottom. You have to be resuscitated before you can make a decision or believe. Yes, we do choose God in a sense, but it's only once after He chose us and regenerated our hearts, and then yes, we do freely choose Him and come to Him. But it's only it's, it's that important element that who comes first. And that's
0: the thing that God does on his own, you know? Yeah. Amen to that. And, you know, uh, I would like to actually supplement a little bit of that because, um, you know, like I said, our sermon this morning was on Ephesians chapter two. And you've used Ephesians several times now. And uh, verses two and three says, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, uh in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires or wills, however you would want to translate that particular word in verse three, yes of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath,
1: yes. even as
0: others. So like and Paul's putting out the distinction that by nature we all are born children of wrath under condemnation because of our sin. Yes. Uh, We're we're not even children of God, except if we have been elected from eternity past.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. The Armenian, the Armenian theology of course has something called provenient grace, or some have said preceding Uh grace that basically man died, but God has, God has given men enough grace to be, to make a free will decision. The problem is that man's free the man's free will is a myth. Um, we do have a free choice in a sense, but we do not have free will. I love Luther's book, Martin Luther's book, The Bondage of the Will.
0: Yes, Jesus even That's said that anyone that
1: sins is a slave to sin. Um, I like the analogy that that some uses of free will that they that of course Luther in his book talks about a carnivore or a lion that um can freely choose. You know they're they're a carnivore. They love meat. And if you put a steak or a hamburger or pork or anything in front of a lion and you put a nice juicy salad, tasty salad in front of a lion, guess what that lion's gonna choose a hundred percent of the time? He freely chooses the meat. Why? Because that's it's yep. his nature. You see, our wills or our affections are tethered or connected to our natures. That's why an Ethiopian can't change its spots. That's why a leopard, I mean, excuse me, his skin and a leopard can't change his spots because our 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 desires are, and our will are tethered to our natures. Um, I like to say it like this. Jesus said – or Paul, excuse me, said that um, we've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son or the kingdom of light. Um, and I like to yep. think of it like a cave or, or a prison cell. As an unbeliever, we are dead in our sins. Our wills are bound. But guess what? We can still choose within that sphere. Within the kingdom of darkness or within that cell, I can choose to do push-ups. I can choose to go here. I can choose to eat this. I can choose to do that within that sphere. So uh, an unbeliever can sin all they want. They can freely choose all the sin they want and even some good things, but they're not done for the glory of God. It's still sin. They may do some things that look good on the outside, but they're still tied to that ultimate nature and that ultimate sphere, which is also the the nature that's going to receive wrath that you talked about. And it's that sphere of darkness. And they can operate within that darkness, but they cannot operate outside of that darkness. I like what Piper says. He says, we don't come into this world with decisions to make. We come into this world with loves and hates and the things that we love and things that we hate. And for an unbeliever, um, they hate god they are enmity with god romans one 6, um excuse me romans 1:18 says that they that all men know god they believe they know that there's a god but they suppress the truth in unrighteousness and the illustration has been used it's like holding a basketball underwater i yep. know i've been on the beach with my kids many times or wherever and i have a ball and i hold it under the water and you got to hold it down and you have to exert pressure to keep that basketball or, or ball down under that water. So that's why that no mm-hmm. matter how much evidence you give an unbeliever or how eloquent or how passionate or has, how sincere you talk to an unbeliever, they continue to suppress that truth because of, the, of their unrighteousness and also for the fact that they're dead in their sins. They can't see. They cannot see that they need it. You know, they can't see. Yep. Their need. That's the bondage of the wheel. Uh, man cannot make a, a decision for Christ because, like you said, God God chose already. Those would be his. Um, the Armenian theology would say that, that all people are savable.
0: Um, yeah, they, the because it stems from um, unlimited atonement for yeah, them.
1: Unlimited atonement. Yeah, they, they would say that man is basically walking up a staircase, and we take as many steps as we can make it on our own. So I go one step, two step, three step. I'm working hard to get to God, and I can't make it quite all the way. So then God comes down and meets me halfway and says, okay, I'll help you up the rest of the way. That's that provenient grace. That's God. That's that synergism. Well, Calvinism looks at the first step and says, wow, it's a million miles high. I can't even ascend to the first step, and God knows that. So he comes all the way down and, and shows that it must be all him, or we'll never make it. Um, God demands absolute perfection, and in order for any of us to be perfect, we must receive a righteousness that's not ours, that that, um, R.C. Sproul called an alien righteousness. Um, It comes from – and it's Jesus Christ, the very righteousness, the perfection, the obedience of Christ that's imputed to us. And this all stems out of this whole total depravity that we don't have anything to contribute to God except our sin, except our deadness, and that's not even – that
0: wouldn't even be labeled as a contribution, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, and uh, the thing that I admire probably the most about Calvinism, this is not to sound arrogant or proud in any kind of way. It's that I think that we are like our theology uh, makes the whole Trinity of the Godhead more active than anything. Um, we've heard the uh, explanation before. I'm sure you have too, is that, Salvation is Trinitarian. God, the father declares God, the son accomplishes the atoning work and God, the spirit does the regeneration and uh, something that and because when we go to John one and especially when we get down to verse 12 and 13, I I thought you, you can't really understand where the controversy comes from because it's so plain and black and white that I'm surprised there's as much controversy as it is, yeah. but as many as received him to them, he gave, gave he power to become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, he yeah. gave that power, that righteousness to become sons of God, sons or daughters of God. And it is not our own work in it, it just it's briefly touched on in John chapter one, but you know, it's all throughout the scripture. You can see God's work. Yes, so
1: definitely. I believe, Go ahead.
0: Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I just, it, it seems so where, where do you believe that the controversy is really coming from? Do you, because I'll tell you that with me, I felt that explaining man's responsibility for his sin Back when I was a semi-Pelagian, I I believe that we were better at at explaining God's responsibility or um, man's responsibility for sin and God's uh, responsibility for salvation. And that just, you know, that now becoming reformed, you know, that just simply is not the case. Yeah. But like, where do you think the main controversy comes from?
1: I think it's tradition. Mm -hmm. Um, You grow up, you know, in America. Which is the last couple, couple hundred years now have been primarily dispensational theology, mm-hmm. um, due to the Schofield Reference Bible, which we're both familiar mm-hmm. with. Um, yeah, I Armin have theology, it.
0: On my
1: <laughs> Arminian theology has been been pretty much spread throughout. It's probably the dominant, you know, theological framework to view the scriptures through. It's what's being taught and then not only that but the the things that are being taught re- regarding reformed theology or at least the things that are heard by other by people around in america are, are oftentimes caricatures you know you yeah. go to disney world or kings dominion or some place like that and you get a picture of you it's like a cartoon it's not really you but it's you but it's a caricature it's, it's a cartoon version it's 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 blurred it's not quite it's not defined the lines aren't clear and and that's yeah. the kind of things that um you know that, that I've heard the thing. Oh, you just you are you Calvinists believe that men are just robots and that God just makes people believe and this and that. And and the truth of the matter is that one thing that needs to be dispelled is this: anyone that ever wants to believe in Jesus Christ, God will save. Yeah. Um, no one's going to ever come to God and say, I, "I tried to believe in you. I tried to. I, I wanted to have you. I prayed a prayer. I did this. I wanted you so bad, and, but you wouldn't let me because I wasn't your elect. No." If you have the desire for God, if you have a, a desire for, for a love for Jesus, if you have any desire to know God, God is drawing you. He's 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 regenerating your heart because apart from that, there is no desire. There is no desire for God. Like I said before, no one is neutral. You either love God or you hate him. Um, yeah. The sweetest old lady… The sweetest old lady, wherever, or the sweetest old man, or the the youngest, whatever, if they don't know Jesus Christ, they don't love God, they hate him. Um, Before Mm -hmm. I knew God, I was a drug addict. I not only used drugs, I sold drugs. I was in and out of jail. Um, I got in trouble, all kinds of things. And...
0: It was right there at that point that we ran into further technical difficulties and you know both of us had things we had to do Um, so I I hated the fact that we let the episode unfinished because I thought we were just hitting everything on all cylinders and it was really shaping up to be an excellent discussion I thought and so I decided to go ahead and because of what we did cover and did have time to cover I felt, <clears throat> excuse me, I felt that um, it was fine enough to go ahead and publish what we had discussed, and we will be finishing later on uh, at some point in the n- near future, hopefully. And I was glad to be able to talk to Brother Matthew uh, today because it's always excellent to interact with him. This was actually our first interaction uh actually speaking together instead of uh, just typing out sentences and words on Facebook and stuff like that now at the time I had been tired <laughs> so if, like you're just like man he sounds groggy yeah I had uh, just got off of work at 7 a.m that morning stayed up until uh, 11 which is when our church service starts and I took a small nap uh, we we get out at about 12: 15. And I took a a nap up until about 4 o'clock and started trying to set everything up. So, but I thought that this was an excellent discussion. And I look forward to doing it again in the near future. Excuse me. A quick update. Um, Travis Simpson, I was going to interview him tonight as well. Uh, Certain things come up with him. And then certain things came up with me because my car actually started misfiring when I uh, got to church, and it kept misfiring on the way home from church. So I knew I was going to have to work on that, and we were actually going to do it this evening, and it just ended up not happening. You know, he had plans, and I had something come up. I was going to definitely try to make time for him, but, you know, he had family over and stuff like that, and that's you know it's it happens and family's important and I respect that so uh, I look forward to interviewing him as well Uh, once again brother Matthew uh, Matthew Colvin he will be uh, covering total depravity and an idea I thought was cool was to see whether or not we could cover all of Tulip throughout the summer if we ever get the time and I thought even though we ran into some technical problems over and over again, I thought it was very well done, considering um, we had very I th- we had very few technical difficulties. We just had a couple of them pop up. I guess um, I'm starting to think that um, 15 minute intervals is when they want uh, you know is when it cuts the call off or something. I'm not sure, but uh, I look forward to talking with him again, and I look forward to talking with Travis. And both these men are both very godly men. Uh, Brother Matthew, you can tell with him, like he tries to bring his family up in the faith. He has children, and he has a wife, and he tries to lead them all in worship. And and the uh, same with Travis. Travis, I know personally. Brother Matthew Colvin lives in, in Virginia, uh, and I live in Kentucky. So, you know, there's we're a state apart, and I've never met him in person. I think it would be awesome if we ever did meet in person. Travis, I know personally, and Travis, I have to thank for, uh, well, number one, I have God to thank for putting Travis in my life. But Travis was the means by which I came to Calvinism, and, and even though I fought bit kicked and scratched to you know resist it it was something that eventually the lord forced me to surrender on and it was you know and so travis is a special person matthew is another special person because he was one of the first calvinist friends i met after coming to calvinism Where Travis, I knew previously, and we actually used to talk all the time. And, you know, he he goes to school and stuff like that. And I, of course, work a job that uh, definitely gives me like 48-plus hours a week. So, uh, Sully, Daryl, Glory guys, I will be publishing this episode, and I hope you uh, find value in it.